are Fusion Church located in Fishkill, New York. Welcome to our podcast. We are deeply passionate about reaching people with the gospel and seeing lives changed. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message will inspire you and bring you hope. Enjoy. There's so much more to your story than what's on the surface. God is calling you to dive deeper, to see how your joys, losses, dreams, and experiences have shaped you. What will the Holy Spirit speak to your soul through emotionally healthy spirituality? Hey, what's up, everybody? So glad and excited you are here with me this morning. We're gonna be jumping into the second part of our message series entitled Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And this message series is running concurrent uh, with our small groups. And together we are growing, and our small groups are in person and virtually online. We're growing together uh, through this course called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. And this course really helps us to get beneath the surface of our lives. And the whole idea is to give God access to those things deep in our hearts and our souls that uh, man, we haven't maybe given to God, maybe it hasn't been healed. And if we can experience that breakthrough, the goal of today is to learn how to become your authentic self. Man, does it sound amazing to go through life not being what others want you to be, to go through life not wearing all the labels people have for you. I mean, how many of you would say you're tired of living out other people's version of your life. Well, I don't know about you, but I am, right? Wearing those labels. Some of us wear the label, and a lot of times we put it on ourselves, right? I have to be the perfect mom. I gotta be the perfect dad. I gotta be the perfect employee. I gotta be the perfect pastor. I gotta be the perfect follower of Jesus. And the reality is for so many of us is those labels and those masks that we wear completely weigh us down. Some of us feel so disconnected from our real, true, authentic self that we can't even be real with people, right? We can't be honest with people in our lives about what's going on with us, or we can't be honest with ourselves even, and we feel completely isolated and alone. I believe today is going to be your breakthrough as we discover how to live an emotionally authentic life in Jesus. And Jesus has a lot to say about that. The Bible actually speaks a lot about living your authentic self and to uh, just kind of create the environment for us today. We're going to jump into scripture. Ephesians 4, to 24 is going to set the context for our discussion today. This is what it says. You were taught with regards to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its sinful desires. So let's just stop there real quick. So with regards to your former way of life, this context of this verse is speaking to believers, followers of Jesus. And what he's saying here is, um, man, your old life, who you were before you encountered Jesus, that person you were before the redemptive power of Christ in your life. And you need to put those things off. You need to walk away from the habits, the patterns, the behaviors, the labels, the things you believe, and you need to realign yourself with the truth of God in your life. Scripture goes on and gives us an action step to be made new, say new, in 
the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. So take off the old self, the old patterns, habits, behaviors, beliefs, and put on the new self. And the renewing actually happens in your mind, right? That's where you're made new. The greatest attack the enemy has uh, in your life to steal your potential, to steal God's purpose for your life is actually in your in your mind, right? So it says to uh, put off the old self, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And that process is called sanctification. It's where the believer gives our life to Jesus. And over time, God changes us. He molds us. He strengthens us, edifies us, and makes us more like Jesus, right? So, so what scripture is telling you is that there is an authentic self that you could lean into, but you got to be able to take off some of the old stuff. And let's be honest, sometimes habits Right, they're hard to change. I don't know about you, but for me, I used to be like really, really defensive, right? If you're a defensive person, that's, that's hard to change. If you're a non-agreeable, kind of argumentative, those are patterns that are hard to change. If you have trust issues, or maybe you have an exaggerated response to frustration and you go from zero to 60 and have a bad mood real quick, these are all coping mechanisms. These, these are not the authentic self. These are the masks we wore to protect ourselves or to get our way. And what God wants to do is grab all of that, put it in alignment for him so that you and I can walk in freedom. We don't, we don't have to live that way anymore. But remember, the battle first is in the mind. The power of changing a decision, changing a belief, changing a narrative that you tell yourself will change the direction of your life. The psalmist David knew all about that. And many times he found himself in deep, dark valleys like so many of us, right? The valley of, for some of us, addiction, the valley of broken marriage, the valley of financial difficulties, trouble with college, right? The valley of feeling isolated and alone, right? Whatever that valley is, this is what the psalmist speaks to himself in Psalm 43, 5. Why, oh my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Like he's literally looking down at himself. He goes, David, what's wrong with you? Dude, what is wrong with you? So many of us have to look at ourselves and go, man, what is wrong with my thinking? What is wrong with the situation? And then he says this, put your hope in God. He's speaking to himself here. He's correcting himself for I will praise him, my savior and my God. He's like, yo, why are you so downcast? Why is my soul so disturbed within me? You will worship God. You will change the direction of your mindset. You will change your perspective because you're gonna take your eyes off of your problems that don't define you and you're gonna place your eyes and your hope on God. Psalm 119 says this, your testimonies are my heritage forever for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my spirit to perform your statutes forever to the end. I incline my spirit. Think about the recliner in your house, right? What does a recliner do? You you pull the, today it's a button, right? But years ago, it used to be a big lever and used to go all the way back and gravity is like a real thing and it pulls you back. And what you got to recognize is over 80% of your thoughts every day have a negative bend to them, a negative lean to them that causes us oftentimes to live outside of the authentic self. And what the psalmist is saying here is I'm going to incline my spirit. I'm going to get up. I'm going to push against gravity. I'm going to push against the resistance of my thoughts and my experience. I'm going to push against it and I'm going to walk forward into victory. I'm going to get up off of this. I'm going to get out of this reclined attitude, a declined attitude, and I'm going to incline myself. So many of us feel cursed today because we go through life with a declined perspective. We go through life with a declined attitude, just settling and skimming the surface of spirituality, right? The picture in the front of this book is an iceberg. And so many Christians will settle for the tip of spirituality, never going deeper into what God has for them. The purpose of this message series and this course and these small groups that run together 
is really to change your life. It's to get everything that's down here below the surface of the water, the, the, the rest of the iceberg, the majority of it. And it's to get it up to the surface so that you could live an authentic life, that the person behind closed doors is the person that everybody sees in front of closed doors. There's no longer conflict. I, I, I know for myself, when I'm acting in a way that is opposite what I claim to believe, I experience internal dissonance, internal conflict. I'm literally fighting within myself. And so many of us, the tendency then is to excuse it, rationalize it, justify it. And like, you know, take an angry mood, for example, right? Maybe you have a bad reaction to somebody who's close to you. And they're like, why are you flipping out? Why are you so angry? And we're like, well, if you didn't make me so mad, I wouldn't have said that. We're projecting, we're rationalizing, we're, we're rationalizing our own personal responsibility when we're displacing blame on them so we don't have to deal with it. But what God wants you to do is to see it so that he can deal with it. You see, we don't fight against flesh and blood, right? Scripture says, but we fight against a spiritual world. And I don't know about you, but we have to fight with spiritual weapons. You can't muscle your way to emotional and spiritual health. You can't work hard at it. You can't do it. All we could do is see it and bring it in to the very presence of God for him to change, but you got to be able to see it first. St. Augustine uh, in in 580 wrote uh, Confessions, and this is what he said in Confessions. How can you draw close to God when you are far from yourself? Then he prayed, God, help me to know myself that I may know you. What in the world does that even mean? In order to know God, I must know myself. What does that even mean? You see, here's the heart of narcissism. The heart of narcissism Uh, is a lack of responsibility focus on oneself and their humanity. And it's an overinflated sense of uh, grandiosity, this overinflated sense of like, I'm better, I'm smarter, I'm more capable than everyone else. And, you know, and in its extreme, it becomes narcissistic personality disorder. The truth is every human being has some level of narcissism in us. And the more we deny our humanity and our brokenness, the, the, the less we actually understand God's saving power. Let me explain it to you this way. The more I accept my human condition as broken, the more scripture comes alive to me and I start to experience God as my healer. The more I'm struggling in an area and I can't muscle through it in my own strength. In that moment, I may give up and understand the need for God's provision in my life. You see, the more I see myself as a sinful man, the more I need a redeemer in my life. The less of me, the more of him. The, the more critical my situation is, the more important God's power and work in my life becomes. You see, scripture may say he's the savior of my situation and of my soul and of my eternity, but until I really grab hold of why I need a savior, I will never truly embrace him as a savior. It wasn't until I had financial difficulty and I was like, God, how can I put food on my table? And then when God provided, you know, in that moment, I was like, okay, God, you are the provider of my family. You, you, You meet all of my needs, Lord God right? So in order to know God, you must know yourself. To know God deeply, you have to have deep emotional insight and awareness. I need to understand myself as a sinner in order to understand God's love, grace, and mercy for me and his redemptive plan. You see, the more I know me, honestly, the more you know you, honestly, and you see your great needs in that moment, God will be greater to you in your own, in your own perspective, in your own awareness, and the truth of scripture will become alive to you because your awareness of how much you need God becomes more apparent. Your awareness of how great God is becomes more apparent. See, God is all of those things. 
but the position of your heart will determine how much of that you see. So in order to know God, one must know himself. In order to know the depth of his goodness, I have to know the depth of the bad in me. The more I understand the bad in me, the greater his goodness is to me, right? So there's that relationship and understanding. There's a woman you're going to read about in your day by day, uh, not day by day, forgive me, in your Emotionally Healthy Spirituality textbook. Her, her name is Sheila Walsh. Sheila Walsh was a, in the 90s, she was a songwriter, a singer. She was a co-host of the 700 Club. And what you're going to learn in this book is that uh, one night she was on the 700 Club and after uh, the show had aired, she found herself in a psychiatric unit, totally stressed out. <clears throat> Beyond belief, the level of her stress and anxiety was through the roof. Uh, she couldn't manage anymore. She ended up in a psychiatric institute and she said that was the kindest thing God had ever done to her. Could you imagine that? The kindest thing God had ever done to her because that was a break in her life and she met a psychiatrist very early on. The next day a psychiatrist comes to her and he goes, Sheila, who, who are you? And she's like, well, I'm co-host of the 700 Club. He goes, no, that's not what I'm asking. Who are you? She said, I'm a singer-songwriter. No, Sheila, who, who are you? And she looked at him and she goes, it's occurring to me for the first time, I really don't know who I am. You see, so many of us wear masks for so long of who and what people think we ought to be that we really don't know who we are. Who are you outside of your career? Who am I outside of the, the title of being a pastor? Who are you beyond being a mother, a father, a child, a sibling, like who are you really? Who are you to God? These are deep questions that I think our soul begs for, needs to know, because if you don't know who you are, we end up picking up the identities and expectations that everyone else wants us to wear. See, one of the worst things in life is to go through this world, to live this life being someone else, what someone else wants you to be and never truly yourself. And really the goal of today is really discovering how to get outside of the false self and to step into the true self, right? And that's really what we have to do. We have to be able to uh, acknowledge who the false self is. And the false self is those labels we wear. It's those personas and personalities and masks and all the things that we are on the stage of life. And we have to somehow bring the, right? If you think of the iceberg, we have to merge what's on the top of the water with what's below. And we have to get that person who's behind the curtain to step out so that you can step out into your authentic self. But we have to start with a question, right? What is emotionally healthy spirituality? What is emotional health? Emotional health is the ability to be self-aware and love others well. It's the ability to be self-aware, love others well. It's the ability to see your own blind spots. It's the ability to understand and see your own securities and how you're triggered in life when people say or do things. It's your ability to understand how your family of origin has impacted your life, your living, and, and how you treat people and yourself today. That's all part of emotional health. It's good self-insight and awareness because people who treat others poorly are people who are living, as scripture says, with the old self, right? People who are treating others poor, poorly are people who are blinded to what's happening deep in, the, in their souls <clears throat> and in their lives. So this day-by-day -day book is really all about contemplative spirituality. It's all about not just speaking to God, but learning to listen and hone your ear to what the Spirit wants to speak in your life. It's about being with God. You see, prayer, so many of us think is one thing, speaking. But really, prayer is three things. Prayer is speaking, prayer is listening, 
and prayer is being. And that part of it is the contemplative spirituality. See, growing up as a kid, I thought prayer was, hey, I'm gonna go to God and I'm gonna just tell God all of my needs, all of my wants, and God, this person needs you and that person needs you, and God, show up and bring a miracle, and it was over. It was almost like I was giving God a bullet-pointed list. That was my prayer, right? It was a bullet-point list, or almost like I was texting God all of the to-dos and stuff I needed. And that was really only scratching the, <coughs> the surface of prayer. See, Scripture says, make your prayers and petitions known to God. God wants you to give him all of that. The problem is we never learn how to sit in the peace, the stillness, the solitude of God's presence. We only know when we think about prayer of the speaking part, but we know so little about the being part and the listening part and training our ears. And the day by day is really designed to help you to learn to sit in the presence of God two times a day for 10 minutes. And some of us are like, well, I do my devotions in the morning. Yes, our devotions, we read the Bible, we learn about God. And if we're a step, you know, a step further in that, it's how do I apply this truth to my life? You see, our devotions of the morning are praying to God, giving God that list of things that I want, need, or hope. But the day by day, it's not about asking God for anything. It's actually learning to practice sitting in the presence of God and being known by God and knowing God deeply. It's very drastically different than the way you and I have been raised. It takes us from wanting to get something from God to learning how to... Uh, sit in the presence of God and be with God. And in there is security because scripture says he is the prince of peace. You see this type of uh, meditation, this contemplative spirituality, its roots go all the way back to the early church. The early church practiced this. This is nothing new. It's, it's re-emerging, but it's nothing new. The early church practices. The early church also practiced what they called a breath prayer. Well, what is a breath prayer? It's where you meditate on the Lord and only use a few words. God, I, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. Maybe it sounds a little different. Maybe it sounds like this. God, I laid down my agenda. God, I laid down my agenda. And you meditate over that. God, you are good. God, you are good. And they actually called that a breath prayer. And you see, the idea of a breath prayer, it's really powerful. You see, when you sit in peace and solitude, you're also focusing in on your body and, and your breathing has relaxed. And why is there power in that? See, the ancient Hebrews, we'll call them the ancients, uh, they understood the power of breath. You see, scripture starts in the beginning. Uh, it says the spirit of God hovered above the waters. The word for that is pneuma in the Greek and ruach in the Hebrew. And, and what that word meant was the breath, the violent exaltation of God, right? The breath of God uh, just hovered above the waters. And the name Yahweh, was a name no one could speak. See, we call it Yahweh and we've, you know, we've made it a word, but for the ancient Hebrews, it was only said through a breath. You see, the belief was that the name Yahweh was actually breathed. It sounded something like this. And why is that important? It's important because the ancient Hebrews believed that the very moment you were born, the very first breath you took, you spoke the name of God. They believe that every breath you take throughout your life is actually acknowledging the creator, that no matter what you believe about God, whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, or a committed believer, every time you breathe, you're actually breathing the name of God, and you worship God all your life, acknowledging him in every single breath, that everything under creation that has lungs to breathe or gills is actually breathing the name of God in and out for their full existence. So it's the first name you call upon when you're born, Yahweh, my God, the great I am. But upon our deathbed, the very last breath we take 
we will be claiming the name of God. I don't know about you, but that gives me goosebumps. That's the power of meditation. That's the power of sitting in stillness and solitude before the Lord. You see, uh, modern science says, hey, we've discovered the power of breathing and how breathing can regulate your heartbeat and your emotions. And man, if you meditate, look, modern science didn't discover that. The ancients discovered that way in the beginning when they understood the breath was actually declaring the name of God, the creator of heaven and earth. Right? And they understood the power of that in your life. They understood its effect in you. And so many of us, we only make time to pray to God when we're in a rush and when we're in a haste, going back and forth to work. This day by day teaches us, teaches us the stillness and solitude and the power of being in his presence, the power of of meditating and breathing and how that impacts your spirituality. Guys, we're not doing something new. The ancients have been doing this for for as long as uh, they've had awareness of God and his name. His name is spoken best as a breath, right? So for some of us, we look at this, we're like, all right, this just feels weird. I sit there for 10 minutes, twice a day. Look, nobody's looking, it's you and God. You gotta learn how to quiet the noise of your life because if you don't quiet the noise of your life, you will have an ADHD type of spirituality. And we're never gonna develop ears to learn to listen to God. Last week, we we jumped into uh, King Saul, the first king of Israel, and he was a total case study in emotionally unhealthy spirituality. And and really, Saul was a picture of somebody who was wearing the... uh, the personality, the persona, the mask of the false self. And so many of us as Christians can wear masks, right? We come into church on Sunday, we play that Christian card. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. God is good. And the other person's like all the time. And then they're like all the time. And that other person's like, God is good. But in reality, your life is falling apart and you just can't be honest about that. See, that's where King Saul was at. What is the false self? The false self is the personality we project to God and to others to impress, to survive, to avoid exposure or to get our way. The false self is the things we often don't see that drive us beneath the surface. It's our fearful behavior, our defensiveness, our self-promoting, blame shifting, our manipulative behaviors, people pleasing, avoiding weakness, not being self-aware. Guys, today is a day that God wants you to take off the mask and to walk forward into your authentic self. Guys, we're preaching for life change here. God wants to grab what is inside of you and you know it's there. We ask those questions, God, what's the purpose of my life? Why am I here? I know there's a potential in me. I just don't know how to access it. Well, God knows how to access it, but the door that needs to be opened to accessing it is the door beneath the the iceberg of our lives, right? So, so we look at a gentleman who sets really the stage for us of what unhealthy spirituality looks like. But there was another king in Israel, the second king, King David, which is really a model, especially in his young life, of what healthy spirituality and leadership looked like for us. So King David was a young man, about 15 years old. There's this big battle going on in the Valley of Elah between uh, the Philistines and between Israel and Saul's on one side of the valley, the Philistines are on the other, and they're about to wage war. The problem is fighting, no fighting is happening. There's this big giant there named Goliath and he comes down into the valley every day and he's like, will Israel just show me one man of courage? Is there one man in all of Israel that will fight me, a nine foot giant? And if you win, man, Philistines will bow down and serve you. But if I win, no one else has to die today. Nobody else has to fight. If I win, Israel will become subject to us, the and that sounds like an interesting proposal, right? Just a, a one-up fight, one against one, and the, the outcome uh, defines everything. 
But there wasn't a man in Israel who wasn't afraid of this giant. This guy was scary. Let's just look at 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17, verse 4, just to understand uh, how scary this guy was. Uh, a champion named Goliath, uh, who was from Gath, uh, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. So he's nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor and bronze weights uh, weighing five thousand shekels. On his legs, uh, he wore bronze uh, greaves and bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Like this guy was scary. Like his, the, the, the tip of his spear was like the size of your face. Think about that. And he's going to thrust that as a nine foot giant into whoever would face him, right? At least that was his hope. So scary. So then young David, he comes down, his father Jesse sends him because three of his older brothers are on these battle lines with the battle that wasn't happening. And his job was to bring them bread and uh, some food to eat. And he goes there and he hears Goliath taunting and making threats like he did every day. Man, if there's one courageous man in Israel and he's making fun of Israel, right? And man, young David, he hears us. And David is a man who was like full of faith, 15 years old, super zealous. And this is what, what he says, right? First Samuel 17, 26. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? So, so he's saying this, he's frustrated. He's like, what's going on? Why won't someone in Israel who walks with God, one of God's chosen, step out in faith? The problem is all of these guys, the whole army, they were walking by sight, not by faith. And David was speaking from a position of faith, right? Because he was a shepherd. And what do we know about shepherds? They have a lot of time on their hands. Yes, they have to keep the, shape, the, the sheep in line and together and safe. But when no chaos is happening, it's just them and their thoughts. See, today we'd be on TikTok and Instagram if we were shepherds, right? But the reality is, David, none of that existed in his time. It was only him and it was only him and God. It was him, God, and the sheep. And he sat in spiritual contemplation, often contemplating God, the creator of the universe. He had time with no distraction. And he was able to commune with God and talk with God regularly. And he was able to look at himself. David knew himself. He knew, he knew his need for God. He saw the depravity in himself as a human being. And in understanding how sinful I am, it helps me to really recognize how great and holy God is. And understanding my need for a savior helps me to recognize how much he is my savior, right? So, so David understood this in his contemplative spirituality. So as he sees this giant, what he's doing is he's looking at the context of his situation in light of his spiritual eyes, walking by faith, not by sight. And so many of us look at the giants we face in our lives, right? And we look at the cancer diagnosis. We look at the addiction. We look at that trouble in our conflict in our relationships. And we're like, man, that's too big. I can't. I don't know what to do. I, I can't save my marriage. But see, in contemplative spirituality, you, you, you understand your limitations. That's right. You can't fix anything. But I know who can. God can. And God can come in when you, man, scripture says, put first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given to you. Young David knew that. But his brothers didn't, right? They were distracted. So Eliab, his oldest brother, he'll, hears him saying all of this, right? And, he's, and David's really getting passionate. This is what Eliab, David's older brother said in verse 28. He heard him speaking with the men and he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. I mean, let's just stop here for a moment. 
David's talking to some people and the brother's like, who did you leave those sheep with? I mean, totally a big brother moment where he totally discredited his little brother, totally disrespected him, put public shame on him, right? And reminded him and everyone around us, don't listen to David. He's nobody but a shepherd. We're men of battle. We're men of war. That guy only knows how to take care of sheep and his heart is wicked above all things. What would you do in that moment? The problem is so many of us, we wear that. Somebody speaks against you. Somebody speaks down. Sibling or not, so many of us wear that. And we're like, oh man, they're right. I'm found out. I'm a fraud. I'm, a, I'm an imposter. I'm a poser, right? And, and we wear those moments. We get imposter syndrome, right? And we're like, maybe I shouldn't be here. But that's because the stuff beneath the surface of our life isn't healed. It's not, it hasn't risen to the surface. God hasn't healed it yet because we haven't given it to him in faith. And as long as we don't deal with that lower stuff in life, we're gonna take those labels on and we're gonna live the life other people have expected us to live, but not David. You see, David understood what it was to get the stuff beneath the surface of the water, that, the, the lower part of the iceberg. He understood what it was to get that to the top, and he knew exactly who he was to God. And this is what he says in verse 29. Now, what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him the way they did before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, the king, and Saul sent for him. So, so David did something really unique. Rather than wearing it, he actually asserted himself. What have I done? This is really more about you. What you have to realize and what I got to realize is a lot of times the put downs you receive from others, the declarations you receive from others, the labels people put on you, it's actually more about them and their insecurities because you trigger something in them and it's not about you. Don't wear it. David refused to wear it. He said, what have I done? Can I even speak? You know what? I don't have time to talk to people that are going to wish evil on me. I don't have time to submit my heart, to give my heart over to people who are toxic or are gonna mishandle that. So I'm gonna turn my ear away from you and I'm gonna find someone who's able to listen. You see, too many of us, we go to the wrong people. We stay in their company too long. You turn your ear over to what brings death instead of what brings life. David said, I'm not gonna associate with those words. Man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to somebody who's willing to hear me. I'm not gonna wear that. What you're speaking over my life doesn't fit me. And so many of us, we wear so often what doesn't fit. And we skim the surface of spirituality, settling just for what's on the tip as opposed to what's below. So he turned over and what you gotta recognize is he modeled for us what we call differentiation. This is what differentiation is. Differentiation is the ability to remain connected to people, right? So it's relationship, uh, yet, not allowing your reactions or behaviors to be triggered by them, separateness. What is differentiation? What, I am not always in agreement with what people say about me. People could have beliefs about me, but I can differentiate myself about that. I'm not who they say I am, I'm who he says I am. I'm not the label they placed on me, I'm a child of God. I'm an heir to the throne of God. I'm a brother or sister with Christ Jesus. That's who I am, not the things that they, speak of me. You see, differentiation is to know where they start and you end, where you start and they end. Differentiation means that people may have offenses and resentments and going through things emotionally, and I may be able to support them, speak life into them, but I don't take that home. I don't wear that. Their problems don't become my problems, right? Healthy differentiation. It's about staying together, but yet in a healthy way, have enough separation. Too many of us don't differentiate. 
We don't differentiate from what people think about us. And because you were treated uh, in a certain way, right? Maybe the black sheep of the family or you were treated uh, like you didn't bring value to the family. You go on life wearing that and projecting that and bringing that to every single relationship and even dating and marrying people who embody those behaviors just because they're familiar to you. And what God is telling you today is you need to differentiate yourself. They may say or believe or label you in such a way, but you don't have to wear that. You need to turn into what my word says about you and you need to walk that out in your life. It's about being differentiated instead of wearing the masks. So Saul overhears this conversation, right? What David's saying, he invites David over. Let's jump into their conversation. 1 Samuel 17, 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine. Here's a label, right? And fight him. You are only a young man. You are incapable. Your brother said you were a shepherd. What fighting experience do you have? And then he says, he has been a warrior since his youth. So not only is he a giant, but he's been practicing fighting since he was young. David, you're nothing but a boy. What can you do? Man, I'm a king, David. I can't send out a boy. We've been here for like days and he's been taunting all of Israel. I need to send out a soldier who looks the part. David, I'm sorry, David. You don't, you don't look the part. And Saul projected on him as a leader, a label that David was undesirable. So many of us wear those labels given to us by significant others in our lives mom or dad, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, kids, or kids with parents, right? And we wear these labels. God doesn't want you to wear these labels. Look how, look how this contemplative soldier of Jesus or of God responds, right? 1 Samuel 17, 34, 37. And David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. You're right. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it struck it, rescued it from the sheep, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescues me from the poor of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. David's like, oh, no, 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 Saul, you don't get it. I might be small, I might be young, but you don't understand. Man, I had battles bigger than this giant. This giant is only another giant and a list of many giants I'm gonna fight in my life. But let me tell you about what God did to the other giants I faced. You see, it's not about me. Saul, it's not about my capability. You see, when a lion or a bear would take a sheep that God has entrusted to me to take care of, that was a giant in my life. And it was by God's strength I went and I conquered that lion. I conquered that bear. This Philistine will be no different. Why? This is just another giant. But that is the same God. Different giants, different valleys, different names. That is the same God. And so many of you have forgotten your God. You're, you're fighting battles and in valleys with giants. And the God who rescued you yesterday, he's still with you today. But don't forget the Lord. I know David says in, in many places, he goes, but the Lord. He goes, my troubles are bad, but the Lord. My, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, but the Lord. Like you gotta remember God when you're in these 
these moments. You have to have a but the Lord moment that makes you realize God is with me, God is for me. I don't have to wear those labels and those false beliefs about myself. My true authentic self can come to the surface and I can worship God in spirit and in truth because I know me and because I know me, I know my God. You see, we start to take it a little more grace on ourselves for our shortcomings when we know Jesus is love and Jesus is sacrifice. And David's here and he's like, man, Saul, I told you all this because what you're throwing on me doesn't fit. What you have to realize today is you have been wearing things that don't fit you anymore. And I don't mean because we gained a little bit of weight. It don't fit you anymore because it was never meant for you. The, 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 the time you were called loser, that was never meant for you. That, that, that was a, a, a label you should never wear. You're not a loser. Scripture says that you are the apple of God's eye. The time people told you, you're not enough. You can't be enough. You're never gonna be victorious in this. You'll never be successful. That's a lie. That doesn't fit you. Don't wear that. Because Scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Like God be true and every man a liar. Amen? You gotta lean into that truth that God has for you this morning and not no longer wear those labels and those lies of the false self. It's about walking forward, trusting in God and his ability in your life, right? In order to know God, I must, I must know my, myself. Guys, and that happens through sitting in that, that peace and that solitude with God. It happens in those contemplative moments, not just those ADHD prayers, not just that, hey, God, I'm gonna give you a bunch of bullet points, and if you could just do all these things, we're good, God. It's way beyond that. It's taking time out in my life to sit in the presence of God, experiencing the peace of God and the solitude and serenity of that moment. It's that moment where I'm breathing and I'm concentrating on my breath, knowing with each breath, I'm claiming the name of Yahweh. And each breath I recognize, God, I'm calling your name. Scripture goes on, 1 Samuel 17, 38. So now Saul's convinced. He's like, fine, young man, you are totally courageous. You are filled with faith. And then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of honor on him and bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. So David now looks the part, though he's, he's young. Then he says this, I cannot go out in these. He said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Saul, I can't be what you want me to be. See, that's a revolutionary moment for so many of you. You need to think about the person in your life or even yourself who puts those false self on, the false labels. And here's your moment to say, I can't be what you want me to be, but I can be what God has created me to be. Amen? That is something to celebrate. I can't be what you want me to be, but I can be what God has created me to be. And I'm gonna walk forward into that. So he literally takes off the false self that everybody wanted him to be and he put on the true self. What is the true self? The true self is the exact opposite of the false self. It is not something you need to construct or project through the process of self-improvement. It is your total self as you were created to be by God. It is the unique face of God that has been set aside for just for you. What does that mean, the face of God set aside? You were created in the image of God. 
God has given you gifts, talents, ability, attributes that are expressions of his love and his devotion to you and to everybody around you. It's time you take a step into what God has called you to be. It's time you take a step into all that you are and embrace that and stop feeling bad about your past and the things you've done. In Jesus, there is forgiveness. Scripture says he is faithful and just to forgive those of all of their unrighteousness. It means that no matter what you've done, if you turn to God and say, Jesus, I repent, forgive me of my sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God who died for my sins. Would you be the Lord of my life? And in that moment, scripture says, you're made a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's what that verse in Ephesians was talking about, taking off the old self, putting on the new self that is made possible in Christ, right? So, so David put on the, his true self. He took off all that stuff. He went out just with his sling and he looked like a shepherd and he goes up to the stream and he picks five smooth stones. Now that's pretty significant, five smooth stones. We always wonder why. And you know, most people just think, well, he took five just in case he gets into a real battle and he misses with the first four. He's got one left, right? He's got five chances to kill this giant. Well, that's not really the case, right? There's actually two uh, main reasons why many theologians believe he took five stones. Uh, the first is, uh, many of us don't realize this, but Goliath was said to have four siblings, all just as big and nasty as him. So maybe he took one for Goliath and four other stones for each one of them because he knew he wasn't fighting uh, flesh and blood, but that this was a battle God was going to fight in his behalf. But the ancient Hebrews, uh, we'll call them the ancients again, right? They believe something very different. They believe it was significant that David picked up five stones. And each one of those five stones represented the first five books of the Bible, known as the Torah, right? We have, we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. And, and David is taking up five stones that represent each one of those books. Now, why is that important? Why are those first five books important? Because it was a reminder and the significance. God, as I hold this stone, I, I don't fight this giant in my life with flesh and blood, Lord God, I fight them with your word. I fight them in faith. I fight them with your law. Lord God, I fight them with your promises. Lord God, I walk forward in faith. It's not a giant I'm fighting. Lord God, this is just a, another moment in my life, God, where you're gonna show up and I'm gonna be victorious because of you, not by strength or might so that no man shall boast, Lord God. I'm gonna be victorious for you. So as they're getting closer Giant is taunting Goliath. This is what David says in verse 45. You come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Like David, full of faith, is like, let me remind you, giant, you might be speaking all that trash. You're a trash talker. I don't have to speak trash because I know who my God is. And right now I'm choosing to be my authentic self. You see, you will experience God in a way you never have before when you experience him through being your authentic self. And how did that battle end? Man, Before, right when they square up, he's turning that sling 
and he releases a rock. And that rock embeds itself in the forehead of that giant. David is victorious. Israel wins. To God be the glory. On that day, on that battlefield, everyone knew it was by the hand of God that there was a God in Israel that was victorious in that battle. It was not by a sword that that battle was won. It wasn't because of a shield. It was because of a young man who had faith in a living God. And that God showed up and did great and amazing things through the faith of a young man. What can God do through your faith? But in order to see God move, you gotta be able to say, God, I wanna step into my authentic self. Where does that start? It starts with sitting in solitude with you, God. I'm gonna do that every day, Jesus. I'm gonna spend time with you, God. And I'm gonna discover what armor I've been wearing, what labels I've been wearing, what, what things I've been wearing, masks, personas, that don't fit me anymore. See, in that time with God, God, I'm giving you permission to speak into my life. I'm, I'm positioning my ear to listen and not do that text message prayer. I'm gonna sit in peace, solitude. And as I breathe, Lord God, each breath is calling out on your name, God. And as I do that, Jesus, Holy Spirit, you're gonna start ministering to me. I know that by faith. And as you show me things deep beneath the iceberg of my life, I know you're gonna bring healing to those things. Lord God, and I choose to walk by faith, not by sight. So that's where it starts. It also starts in what you declare for yourself to be your authentic self. Do you declare, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm never gonna accomplish this, I'm never gonna be successful. If that's what you declare, you're sabotaging what you want God to do in your life. But it's, it's, you gotta step out of the false self, right? Because that is all the false self. Because it's contrary to the word of God and step into the true self. And when the true self says, you know what? I will not overreact when my kids upset me. I don't have to give myself over to a bad mood. Man, I choose to stay calm. I choose to love. I choose to show grace. I choose to be a man or a woman of mercy. I choose to be a help to people in need. I choose to walk by authentic faith and not by sight. I choose to be honest. I choose to live a transparent life. I, I choose to turn away from my past and to step into the newness of life God has for me. I choose not to wear this anymore, but I'm gonna wear God's truth. Man, I, I choose to correct my thinking. I will correct my thinking and I will get my thinking in line with truth instead of lies. I will choose to be authentic. You see what you claim and speak over your life, your thoughts, your words, your life will follow. Guys, but it all starts right here. So this week, I wanna encourage all of you, get this day-by-day -day book. If you don't have it, you guys can purchase it on Amazon or reach out to our church office, office at fusionchurchny.com. We do have a few copies left. We will send them out to you, but you want to be able to lean into this. Sit in that moment, learn to sit in the presence of God. And as you breathe, you're crying out to the living God in that moment. God will start to show you things. And it's time that you and I have that mirror moment. And what's reflected back is often not what we really are in this newness of life that Christ talks about. It's time you step into all that God has for you. Would you do that and walk with me on this journey this week? God has so much for you. Guys, make sure you join us next week. I know God's gonna speak some amazing things into your life. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. We have a new message that comes out every week. You can click the link in the description below to follow us on Facebook or Instagram or jump onto our website at fusionchurchny.com for more information. We would like you to be a part of what God is doing at Fusion Church, so please subscribe to our podcast and share it on social media. Make sure you tag us. We want to get to know you and feel free to rate us and leave a review.